Aubona, how's it? Molo, Jumbo, and welcome to the Every Nation podcast. We hope this message will inspire you and draw you closer to Christ. Enjoy. So today we're starting a new series called Old School Gospel with the subtitle No Shame. And uh, I wanted to kind of introduce the series to you this morning. So I was doing a wedding recently in the Midlands, and um, it was a beautiful wedding, and it was a beautiful day. And uh, it was picturesque, as you can imagine, the Midlands, there's dams and lakes and forests, and it's just all wonderful. And we were doing this wedding, and I was kind of uh, in the front of the church, getting ready, like getting into wedding zone, you know, and uh, it's about to start, and everybody's pouring into this chapel, and behind me is this beautiful view, and it's, and it's just like the most perfect day, and I'm, I, I can feel the presence of God, and I'm so excited to do this wedding. And what made this wedding really special was the fact that the bride's grandparents were still alive, and they were in their 90s, and they were able to be there that day and witness that wedding, and they were, they were helped in, and they came and sat down in the front row, and I'm literally talking now, it's like five minutes to the wedding, go, and I'm like, you know, just going, getting into wedding zone in my mind, okay, and the granny who's sitting in the front, 90-something-year-old granny, does this little, like, come over here. So I'm like, oh, cute, you know? Um, granny's calling me. So like I put on my granny face, you know, like my, my ass sweet granny face, and I walk over to granny, and I'm, and I'm like expecting like a nice sweet little granny comment, so I'm, re- I'm ready for the moment, you know? And uh, so as I lean in, she says these words to me, which I was completely unprepared for in the moment. She said, my boy, you didn't wear your suit today. And I was like, I was in shock. I was like, uh, 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 I was like short-circuiting in the moment. And, and uh, I was like trying to think of what to respond. And before I could think of a, like a response to it, to say, no, Grand, this is how we dress nowadays, you know? This is what preachers do nowadays. She already went on to the next thing. And she says, and I see you didn't shave. <laughs> no jokes. Like... How do you recover from that and then go and do a wedding in that moment, you know? So Granny really knocked me out in that moment. And, uh, you know, and I was just thinking, you know, for, for Granny, like, church has seriously changed over the years. Hey, church has seriously changed. I mean, she's, like, in her 90s. She's seen church, like, one way, and, like, it's now very, very different, okay? And so, you know, there's... there's so if, if to the point now, church has changed to the point now, if I was actually wearing a suit this morning and I had shiny shoes and I was properly, you know, I didn't have designer stubble, but I was actually clean shaven this morning, you might actually label me as an old school preacher. Am I right? Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and that's because, you know, there, there was a way things were done and now there's kind of like a new way things are done. And for the sake of this series, when we use the words old school, what we mean, we don't mean old fashioned. What we mean is like the original or the founding generation. So when we talk about like old school rap, 
What are we talking about? We're talking about the original founding generation. We're talking about Run DMC and Jay-Z, all right? And all the brothers that kind of pioneered like rap. And that's all. When we talk about old school rock, rock, we're talking about what? The Beatles and the Eagles. And we're talking about, you know, Pink Floyd. We're talking about the original founding generation, the guys who pioneered it. When we're talking about old school gospel, what are we talking about? We're talking about the original words of Jesus, the founding words of Jesus, the, the words that made the gospel what it is, the, the apostles and their words. So we're not just talking about old school. When we say old school, we're not talking about old fashioned. We're talking about the original words of Jesus. You know, as church has changed over the years, some of those changes have been good. We've needed to make those changes, right? Like preachers can wear sneakers now, amen? Yeah. <laughs> Aren't you happy about that, subs? <laughs> um, but there's certain things that should never change. And one of them is the gospel. You know, the music can change in church, the setting can change, what preachers wear can change, you know, and, and we have to adapt to society and all that, but there's some things that should never change, and that is the gospel. Paul said this in Romans 1 verse 16. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for all who would believe. And Paul was a man who protected the gospel in his day. You know, the gospel is always under threat in every generation and in every society around the world. And, and Paul made it his business to protect the gospel. You know, whenever ch churches were trying to add things to the gospel or take things away from the gospel, he would always write letters to, you know, rebuke them or get them back on track because he needed to preserve the gospel. Why? Because it's the gospel that saves lives. Amen. Not what we add to it. Yeah. Not what we take away from it. And so when we talk about old school gospel, we're talking about going back to the original. What, what, is, what is the original? You see, our generation has gone through tremendous change. Wouldn't you agree with me? The older folk in the room, wouldn't you agree? <laughs> you know, we've seen more change in the, like the last 50 to 100 years than in 6,000 years of, of human history. Just in the last 50 to 100 years, we've seen more change than we've seen in the, in the last 6,000 years. And you know, with all the change that's happening in society right now, all the, the pressure out there and all these things that are changing, the, the Family definitions changing. I mean, I mean, guys, you know, we even have online church today. Like a few years ago, that was not really happening, huh? Now there's the metaverse happening. And like, do we put church on the metaverse? Or what do we, you know, so th there's all this change happening in society. And all that change is putting pressure on the church to adapt, to be relevant, to be still impactful, to, to be still preaching the gospel in a language that people can understand. And unfortunately, with all the changes that are happening in our world, is that that pressure is coming on the gospel, and when the gospel is being preached, sometimes we're not hearing certain words anymore. Words like sacrifice. Words like honor. Words like authority, or morality, or eternity. I mean, we live in a generation where it's like, live your best life now. now. Everything yeah. now. The concept of eternity and living for eternity is not really something this generation likes, wants, or even cares about hearing. Yeah. 
And so in all this pressure that's coming onto the church, sometimes we lose certain words like these words. And the, the, the sad reality is this, that these words make up the gospel. They are knitted into the fabric of what the gospel is. I mean, if we are to preach the gospel, we can't lose these words. No matter how much this generation doesn't want to hear them, they still make up the gospel what it is. And if we want to live gospel-centered lives in our generation, we cannot substitute these words for anything else. You know, our generation loves to hear words about blessing and grace and favor and walking in the anointing and things like that, but sacrifice, you, uh-uh, not our generation. Authority, who's you going to tell me what to do? Honor, think about our parliament at the moment. Morality, and think about how things are changing right now. I looked at a statistic where it said that more, this generation now, millennials, I think it's only 30% think that marriage is an institution that's worthy of actually do, of doing. It's easier just to live together. 30, 30% think that marriage is actually like a, a good thing, like a, a good institution to honor. So we've seen tremendous change, and that's put a lot of impact and pressure onto the gospel. And so what we want to do in this series is we want to go back to some of these words that might be getting lost in our generation, that might be getting like you know, diluted in our generation, and we want to pick up on them, and we want to hold them up again because they are what makes, they are what makes the gospel. Amen. So the word we're going to start with today is the lovely word of sacrifice. <laughs> and uh, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 4. So if you've got a Bible, let's go there, but let's pray before we get into the word. Father in heaven, we commit this time to you. And we believe that your plans for us are good, but that everything good starts with your word. Lord, your word brings life, healing, and direction. And so we treasure your word more than our daily bread. And we boldly confess this morning that our minds are alert, our hearts are receptive, and we say, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. Are you in Genesis 4? Who are the old school guys who are carrying uh, Bibles with them this morning? Like Bibles in paper. (laughs) Come on, hold it up, old schoolers. Old schoolers, give them a hand, all right? (laughs) Resist the change. (laughs) All right, let's start. We're talking about sacrifice, all right? The word that has really been lost in our generation today. And we're going to start there, Genesis 4, verse 3. It says this. It says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering. That word is also sacrifice. He brought a sacrifice of the fruit of the ground. And Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions. And the Lord had respect and regard for Abel and for his offering or sacrifice. But for Cain and his sacrifice, he had no regard. Now, this is one of those passages in the Bible that is, it's, it's implicit. Like there's, you know, some, some passages in the Bible just explain everything. This is one of those passages where we kind of have to, like there's, there's no explanation behind this passage. We have to kind of look at the context of the whole of Scripture to understand what was going on here. Because if you just start in Genesis and you just read these verses, there's a couple of questions that should come to your mind. Like, namely, why did they bring something to God? Like, what was the thing? And, and clearly, God was expecting it. So it looks like there was some sort of 
transaction that happened prior to this, some sort of information that happened to this. But this is the key thing I want you to see, that in Cain and Abel's minds was that when you approach God, you bring something. And what you bring needs to be a sacrifice. And it can't just be any sacrifice. It's got to be something that he's ordained as a right sacrifice. Okay, that's what we're just picking up in this passage. And so this phenomenon of like bringing God something, bringing God a sacrifice, doesn't just stop there with Cain and Abel, but it happens throughout Genesis. So what we see is even Abraham bringing offerings and sacrifices to God. We see his son Isaac doing the same thing. We see Jacob doing the same thing. When we look at the life of Job, one thing we know is that he made sacrifices every single day for each of his children just in case one of his children had sinned. So this concept of sacrifice continues throughout Scripture. And when we get to Exodus and Leviticus, you know those the Leviticus, that lovely book we all enjoy reading just before we go to sleep at night, no? <laughs> that when we get to those books, the theme or the idea of sacrifice explodes. It like goes to an entirely new level because the tabernacle gets created with instructions from God and then there's burnt offerings and, and peace offerings and sin offerings and there's all these different sacrifices and they're happening at different times of the day and every day and on special occasions and it's through the sacrifice of a lamb that Israel gets delivered from Egypt and so this idea of sacrifice just explodes when we look, to, look at these passages. But there's one passage in the Old Testament that I want us to go and look at because it gives us a window into this understanding of what sacrifice is. In fact, this, this passage that we're going to look at now, is, it's perfect. Like if we want to understand Old Testament mentality when it comes to how do we approach God and what do we bring to God, this is the passage that explains it so well. And it's from 2 Samuel 24, and I'll give you the context to the story. It's King David, and he's... Um, in a situation where Israel is in a plague and he needs to make an offering to God. And so he goes and he looks for a threshing floor and he looks for some oxen and he finds it at this guy called Aruna's place. So Aruna's got this great threshing floor. He's got all this oxen and, um, and this land. And David comes to him and he says, let me buy this all from you so that I can make an offering to God. And Aruna's like so stoked that the king has come to his house. He's just like, whoa, you're my king. Take whatever you want. Give an offering to God. I'm not charging you anything. You're my king. And this is, look at how David responds to him in chapter 24 and verse 24. But the king replied to Aruna and said, no. I mean, most of us would have been like, okay, awesome. <laughs> free, you know? No, I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. And so David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. So here we get a great like window view into Old Testament mentality and understanding around sacrifice. It was this, was that if you were to approach God, you had to bring something. And what you brought to God needed to cost you. 
There had to be a cost to it. That's what the word sacrifice means. It means like, ouch. Like, whoa, this is... This is, this, is, this is costing me. This, is, this might even be painful. This might even be like I'm going to have to go without something because I'm bringing it to God. This is, we can see this in David's mentality. I'm not going to give God anything that doesn't cost me, that isn't like going to put like a, like a pressure on me or, 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 or be a sacrifice towards me. And so when we look at the Old Testament, what we see is this, is that worship equals sacrifice. Worship equals sacrifice. There is no worship without sacrifice. I mean, even the first time the word worship is used in the Old Testament, and, you know, because of the law of first mention, that's always a good sign for us that tells us what worship really is. And when you look at Genesis, the first time the word worship is mentioned, it's in the context of Abraham offering his son Isaac as a sacrifice. That's the first time we hear about worship. So deeply rooted into their understanding, if you're going to worship God, there must be sacrifice involved. I mean, to the point where even in Malachi, there's a rebuke from the prophets that God gives to the people because they're bringing him lame and blind lambs as offerings. And God is so unhappy about this. And he's like, would you take that offering and would you give it to your nobles and to your kings? Why then would you bring me something like this? Why? These people were bringing something that didn't cost anything to them. And thereby showing how much they did not value God. You see, sacrifice shows value. When you, as parents, are sacrificing, going to work every day, and like trying to earn that income, and paying those school fees, and putting clothes on your kids' backs, and, and doing all of that, why are you doing it? Because you value them. You love them. The larger the sacrifice, the larger the love, the larger the value that goes into it. And this understanding was so deeply rooted into Old Testament, is that you just don't bring God in jail, nothing, you know, like... Soma, soma, something, you know? No, it's got to be the best. It's got to be what really costs, what really puts a dent, what really uh, you struggle to do. And so this is very interesting because here we are, New Testament. Hey, amen? amen. Give me a Bluetooth high five for the New Testament right here. We're living in it. All right. Here we are in the New Testament. Their understanding, worship equals sacrifice, what is worship for us? What is it? Worship for us, if you ask the average Christian, is singing songs. Can you see that that is so different? When you think about worshiping God, what do you think of doing? Come on. You think of singing a song. Amen? For them it was much more costly than singing a song. And, and, and why is that? Why, why is our New Testament understanding worship equals songs? Why is that there? Well, because this is the, the message that we've been preached and taught, and it's this, is that Jesus came and fulfilled all the Old Testament sacrifices. We are released. He was the one offering made once and for all. 
He is the only sacrifice that God would ever be pleased with. He is the one who shed his blood, the lamb that was sacrificed for us, that covers our sin. His sacrifice made a way for us to come to God. He literally, in that moment on the cross, when he poured out his, his blood and sacrificed his life, put an end to temple worship as they knew it, where there was constantly lamb sacrifices being made after day after day after day. He put an end to that, and his one sacrifice covered all of us in our sin. And so the only then appropriate response that when we come to God is to bring a song of worship, a song of praise, a song of offering, saying, Jesus, you're amazing. Why? Because we're standing on the finished work of Jesus. Amen? Amen? Amen. Correct? <laughs> I'm messing with you this morning. Yeah, it's correct. But no, it's not entirely correct. It's kind of the gospel, but it's not the full gospel. Why? What do I mean? Well, Jesus never changed the definition of worship. Worship remains sacrifice. That is worship. However, what he did change was what we worship with. In the Old Testament, it was a lamb without spots and without blemish, the best, the first of. In the New Testament, it's you. Jesus didn't replace or change the definition of worship. If anything, he made it more extreme. He made it even more radical. The sacrifice used to be a lamb, but now it's you. <laughs> a lot of nervous laughter. I don't know how, in modern times, we have lost or changed the definition of worship and the understanding of sacrifice to make it something different. I don't know how we've lost it, because when you look at the words of Jesus, you cannot, he cannot be more clear. Take a look at Matthew 16, 24. If any man, let's all read it together. If any man wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save you Do you realize what Jesus is saying over there? He's calling us to sacrifice our lives for him and for the gospel. He never did away with sacrifice. He upped the ante. He turned up the temperature, and he made us the offering. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, an old-school theologian, said the following. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him, come and die. I mean, if we just think about some of the words of Jesus this morning, think about this. When the rich young ruler came to him and said, what shall I do to earn eternal life? Spoke about the commands, and then he said, one thing you lack, sell everything you own and come and be my disciple. And we know that he left very sad. 
Jesus called for radical sacrifice in following, if we want to follow him. He said this in, in Luke 9. He said, whoever puts his hand to the plow and turns back is not fit for the kingdom of God. In the parables of the kingdom, he spoke about a merchant looking for fine pearls who then goes and sells all that he has to buy it. He talks about a man who finds treasure in a field, and when he finds it, goes and sells all that he has to buy the field. Clearly, in Jesus' teaching, him and the gospel is worth everything. It's worth everything we could possibly own. It's worth selling everything to have. We, we heard Daniel read that scripture this morning about those, that, that widow who gave everything. Jesus was watching the offering box on Sunday morning. He was checking it out. Well, who's putting in what, okay? And he no, what did he notice? He noticed this woman. Why did he notice this woman? Why did he applaud this woman? Why? Because it was sacrifice. It cost her. Yeah. And it's cost that got his attention. Everyone was just putting out of their abundance, and he's like, yeah, yeah, keep moving, keep moving, put it in, whatever. And then he sees her put that in, and there's cost, there's sacrifice, and what? He's got, his attention is there in that moment. It piqued his attention, and he applauded it. When the alabaster box that Mary brought was broken over him, with the, that, that perfume was like a year's worth of wages, and the disciples and many people were like, sure, what a waste. And Jesus rebuked them and said, leave her. What she's done is right. What she's done is good. Why did he applaud her? And why did he say that this story will be spoken of to wherever the gospels preach? Why? Because it cost her. It was sacrifice. And it got his attention. He's wired to see that. Jesus never did away with sacrifice. He turned up the temperature. He upped the ante. I mean, when you look at the early disciples, what you notice is they really got this. They really got the words of Jesus. I mean, it, it, you just have to open the book of Acts and start to see what unfolds in those passages after the resurrection what we see, and the ascension. You see dis, disciples selling everything they have and bringing it to the feet of the apostles, saying, let's, let's take the gospel to the ends of the earth. You see them giving their lives all over, preaching the gospel, some of them getting martyred, beheaded, crucified, even upside down because they weren't worthy to, they, can't, they didn't count themselves worthy to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was. So they got crucified upside down. They were beheaded, they were speared, they were boiled, they were persecuted, they were, why? Well, because Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. And for them, it wasn't a cross like, oh, you know, this like figurative, imaginary type of cross where, you know, like I go to this job every day and there's this like boss and like he's really my cross in this world. <laughs> no, like, like the cross for them was like a, a means of execution. It was a rough wooden cross on which many of them were actually crucified. It was when Jesus said that it was like for them, it was give your life to this. Give everything you have to this. This is worth everything that you can give. And it wasn't just the early disciples, but if you go into church history and you look throughout the ages, one thing that you do notice that you cannot not notice is that this understanding of sacrificing our lives for the gospel was preached it was expected and it was practiced century after century to the point that we can now sit in the labors of many people who sacrificed so that we could have what we have today. 
It didn't come cheap for many of them. Let me tell you about one of them, a guy by the name of Adoniram Judson. He was a missionary who felt the call of God to go to um, then Burma, now Myanmar, to a foreign nation where there was no Christians. And just before he was about to leave, he was a young man, and there was a young lady, and she caught his eye, and he caught her eye, and, and one thing led to another, and they, 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 they fell in love. But now the problem was his ship was arriving and taking him to Burma, and now he's fallen in love with this lady, and it's like, do I stay, do I go? Then he thought, well, let me marry this lady. And so what he did was, in, the, in those days, he had to get permission from the dad. And in those days, it was a real permission. Like, dad could say no. In our days, it's kind of like a, how am I going to say no, you know? <laughs> in those days, it was like their dads really had the, the card, the dad card, you know? Nowadays, we just, we kind of pretend we do, all right? Um, but anyway, so he, so he writes a letter to Anne, that was her name, Anne's father, asking for permission for marriage. And I have his letter, all right, that he wrote. But I thought it might be good this morning if a dad of a daughter could come and read this. Maybe, Subs, you wanna, you, you've got a daughter. Come on up here, champ. Do we have a mic for Subs? She's still young, yes, we know, okay, so. <laughs> we, we can already see the dad hearts coming out here. God help the guy who comes for a lure one day, all right? God help him. He's, he's going to need to have some super spiritual power. But thank you, Tando, for that. So, so imagine this. Alua's older now. She's in the age of marriage. You're still her dad. And some young guy who's a missionary is about to go to some foreign nation where nobody knows Jesus and it's very dangerous. And he gives you this letter. I'll open it up and, and read it. Yeah. I'm married. I'll give it to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Customary. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. All right, go for it. You can just read that. These are the actual words. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India. Must I keep going? Yeah. All right. <laughs> to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this? For the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you. For the sake of perishing immortal souls. For the sake of Zion and the glory of God. Hmm. Can you consent to all this? 
in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness, brightened by the acclamations of praise, which shall resound to her, Savior, from heaven, from heaven saved. Through her means, from eternal woe and despair. How do you feel right now? Ah, she can't go. <laughs> she, <laughs> she can't go. go. No, no. Hey. Ooh, that's heavy. <laughs> that's heavy. I want, I want us to feel the gravity of that. I mean, can, can you just, like some of these words here? Degradation, insult, persecution, perhaps a violent death. But can you do it not for the sake of you or her, but for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you? Just pause on this. Can you, can you feel the, the weight of this? This is a dad. This is a daughter. This is a very real thing, right? This is a real letter. This actually was written. Let's look at another letter that was written from Jesus to us this morning. Avi, if you wouldn't mind just putting up those words, the next words, scripture. Let's read it together. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Jesus never changed the definition of worship. If anything, he made it way more extreme. Was the Donnyrum Judson and Ann Judson sacrifice worth it? They had three children, all three died before the age of one. Anne herself then did die. Uh, from smallpox as well. Adoniram remarried. <laughs> he had to write another letter probably. <laughs> and uh, out of 13 children, only six survived. But by the time he died in modern day, or in, back then, Burma, modern day Myanmar, there were 100 churches and 8,000 believers in Christ by the day he died. Today, there's two and a half million evangelical Christians in Myanmar. It's not enough. It's not enough. We need way more than that in a nation as, as populous as that. Still a, a, min, a huge minority. But I want you to know, like, we can read statistics today and say there's two and a half million Christians in Myanmar and go, oh, and forget what the cost was to get there. Anne died on the mission field and she's been wearing the crown of glory ever since that day. Let's not fool ourselves. Worship is costly. And it must cost in order for it to be worship. And I believe the question that generation and all the other generations of Christians who've been there before us, they would look at our generation and say the following to us. They would say, where is your offering? Where is your sacrifice for the gospel? Where is your worship? And if we had to tell them, well, we sing songs on Sunday, I don't think it'll cut it. Could you agree? 
Martin Luther said the following. He said, a, re a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. And let me just encourage you today. If you're feeling like following Jesus is tough, and you're feeling like the purity battle is tough, or you're feeling like there's certain restraints on you as a Christian that you just can't run head on into sin like everybody else, or if you're feeling like this mission or this walk with God is costing you in something, some way and somehow, I want you to know not to despise that and not to look at God and say, but God, surely this should all be easy, but rather to see that that is your offering. That is your worship. And offer it like that and see it like that because it's that that carries a great, great reward in the kingdom of God. As a preacher of the gospel, it would be wrong, it would be a travesty for me to call you, everyone here, to anything less than radical sacrifice for the gospel. Anything less says that I and you don't understand the value of the gospel and the kingdom of God on earth. Amen? Amen. In the New Testament, I'll close with this. In the New Testament, there are some hints as to the sacrifices that are pleasing to God, the sacrifices that God enjoys. There's six of them, and I'll go through them just quickly this morning so that you can get an idea of how it is that we in New Testament sacrifice for God. So New Testament worship looks like this. The, firstly, the sacrifice of prayer. So I'm not talking about a quiet time when I talk about prayer, the sacrifice of prayer. I'm talking about giving time to praying. I'm talking about praying for the nation, praying for the church. I'm talking about going to the prayer room an hour a week, two hours a week, whatever it is that God puts on you, right? Whatever he's calling you to do. But, but rising early or, or going to bed late, but de dedicating time to prayer. Why? Because prayer, when you look at scripture in the New Testament, is a reasonable sacrifice to God. It's something that God enjoys, all right, it's, David said this. He said, my prayers come before you like incense in Psalm 141. In the book of the Revelation, we see prayers rising like incense uh, to this bowl, this golden bowl, which is full of incense, which are all the praise of God's people. And prayer is something that changes the world. Prayer is the means by which God moves in our generation when we value prayer and give ourselves to prayer. And I'm talking about sacrificial prayer where you, you're rising early to pray for the nation or the city or the church or your disciples or the people you're walking with or, that, or you're laboring like Paul in prayer that Christ would be formed in other people or that the lost would come to Jesus. I want you to know that's an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord. That is something that he enjoys. That is an offering that you can bring to the Lord. What about this, the sacrifice of praise? There's another one. In Hebrews 13, 15, it talks about the sacrifice of praise. But it's not just like, hey, we're just gonna sing some songs, you know, and we're gonna have a praise party or a praise evening. The sacrifice of praise was written to, uh, and talking about people who are facing persecution. So do you remember when Paul, was thrown into, Paul and Silas were thrown into prison? And what did they do when they were in change? They began to? praise, that's the sacrifice of praise. That's when life is so hard and it's so difficult. And instead of listening to like Job's wife saying, curse God and die, rather in my pain, rather in my difficulty, rather in this moment, I'm going to give you glory. I'm going to sing your praises loud. Why? Because this is what I can give you this side of eternity. 
that side of eternity, I will never be able to worship in pain. I'll never be able to worship in difficulty. I'll never be able to worship through my sickness. I'll never be able to worship through trying circumstances or kid problems or marital problems. or whatever. I, Here is an offering we can give to God this side of eternity. A sacrifice of praise when everything in you just says, no, I don't want to lift up a praise. But you lift it up anyway. And you sing to His name. And you sing glory to Him. The sacrifice of praise. It's an offering that he likes, all right? It's something you can give him. The sacrifice, thirdly, the sacrifice of your physical body. Romans 12 says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of, in view of the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a, a living sacrifice, holy and without blemish. All right? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true act of worship. This is a New Testament scripture, guys, Romans 12. This is a true act of present your body as a living sacrifice. This is a true act of worship. Can you see worship and sacrifice? It hasn't changed. The definition hasn't changed. If we're going to worship, there's got to be sacrifice, okay? Present your body, all right, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. You now, in Hebrews, it also talks about Moses who, who didn't stay in the fleeting pleasures of Egypt, but chose rather to suffer with God's people. He didn't choose to, the generation that he was in. There was sin in Egypt, but he chose rather to, to identify with the people of God, all right? When you choose not to sleep around and honor the covenant of marriage, you are presenting your body as a living sacrifice before God. When you meet your partner and you choose not to live together, but you choose rather to get married, you're treating your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your true act of worship. Amen? What about the sacrifice of your possessions? I mean, there's this moment where the church in Philippi gives Paul this massive gift of just like an offering made to him just to help. And, and he says these words. He says, I am well supplied. I received everything, the gifts you sent. It's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. When we sacrifice our possessions, our homes, our whatever we have, for the gospel, it's a sacrifice that's pleasing to God. Does it cost us, is the question, though. Because like that scripture we read earlier, it can be given out of our abundance, and it can actually not cost us. We must like, ask ourselves and just be real with ourselves and say, is what I'm bringing God out of my possessions worship? Is this a sacrifice to me? Am I parting with this knowing that this is like, wow, this is my best. <laughs> this, is, this is what I've got, Lord. Or is it like we're tipping God? Or we're just giving what we can because it's easy. Let's, let's not fool ourselves in what is true worship, amen? What about this? The sacrifice of people you have led to Christ. The sacrifice of people. Paul talks in Romans about how he was called to be an apostle to the Gentile nations and, and how the people that he's led to God are his offering to God. Isn't that awesome? 
So the offering that you can give to God is lost souls that have come to know Jesus. People that you've discipled through life and have now, you know, learned how to follow Jesus and, and, and become a true follower of His. That is an offering that is pleasing to God. That is something that He wants to bring, that He, that he actually wants from us. And then finally, the sacrifice of purpose. That's being where God wants you to be and doing what God wants you to do despite the fact that you could be anywhere else. But you're remaining dedicated to the purpose of God. And I've seen many campus pastors, you know, come through our movement and there's a sacrifice that they pay to be on campus. And some people would look at them and say, but you're qualified. You're an engineer. You've got a degree. You could be out there earning so much more. Why have you given your life to being here on the campus, reaching the lost and making disciples? It's the sacrifice of purpose. It's saying, I'm not going to just move my city. I'm not just going to move my home. I'm not just going to move my church. I'm not just going to go and do what I can do with the degree that I've got because that's, I want to live my best life now. No, it's, Lord, what have you called me to do with my life? And I do that, and that's my offering to you. And no, it doesn't matter. I can be anywhere else. Yeah, I could be earning much more. Yeah, I could do this sort of thing. But that is my offering to God. And if you're in that place this morning and you feel like it's tough to be serving the purpose of God, I want you to know, do not despise your gift. Don't despise your gift. It is your sacrifice to God. It is your worship to Him. Rather, release it with joy. Why? Because He loves a joyful giver. Amen? He loves a joyful giver. So I want to just close with a scripture in Proverbs. Maybe we can stand to our feet. <clears throat> that was just to give you an idea of some of the sacrifices that we can bring to the Lord. And the reason why I share those is because, you know, Cain and Abel just brought sacrifices, but Cain's offering wasn't acceptable to the Lord. You know, we mustn't think that we can just bring to God whatever we want you know, to, to bring to him, but rather we bring the things that he wants. Yeah. Isn't that right? Yeah. Make sense? So I want to finish with the scripture in Proverbs. It says the following. It says, a gift opens the way for the giver and ushers him into the presence of the great. A gift opens the way for the giver and ushers him into the presence of the great. Guys, I want you to know this morning, we have not been saved into a democracy. We've been saved into a kingdom. Our God is a king. So this says that we've got to, there's some things about kings that we need to understand. There's some things about thrones we need to understand. There's, there's things about royal protocol that we need to understand. And it's this, is that kings are worthy of gifts. And when you come before the king, you bring something. You bring something. Even if it's just a broken and contrite heart, <laughs> such an offering he will not despise. But you bring something before the king. When the queen of Sheba went to go see Solomon in all his glory, she didn't come empty-handed. She brought caravans of spices and gold 
and she laid it all before Solomon. She was just like, here's a gift. And the largeness of her gift opened the entire kingdom and all of Solomon's wisdom to her. And the Bible says, and she left with whatever she wanted. <laughs> Your gift opens the way for the giver and ushers him into the presence of the great. I don't know if you want to get closer to God, or if you want to walk with God and hear God, and experience God and see God, and tap into the wisdom of God and the secrets of the kingdom of God and, and, and the, you know, the kingdom of God and everything, the realms of glory that, that, that exist there. And if you want to experience that or go deeper there, I want you to know that your gift will make way for you. Often we use this scripture in a, in a way like, you know, it's your gift that will make way for you, your skill, your thing in life. But actually, this is used in a very different context. It's your gift will usher you in to the presence of the great. There are keys, there are mysteries, there's wisdom, there's, there's so much our God has for us. My question to all of us this morning is, what are we bringing to? What are we bringing to our King? Let's pray. Thank you for tuning in. For more messages like these and other resources, you can visit our website at endurban.com. Remember to subscribe to our podcast channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Be blessed.